Join us for a one-of-a-kind online operatic celebration. On December 3rd at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Guild will present Silver Soiree, an online gala. During this 90-minute celebration, we will honor the 25th anniversaries of the Metropolitan Opera debuts of Stephanie Blythe, Christine Gerke, Denise Graves, and Patricia Rossette. This Silver Anniversary Gala will feature appearances from our honorees, a musical performance by Angel Blue, video tributes from Marilyn Horn, Frederica von Stada, and maestro Yannick Nezet-Seguin, and appearances from more of opera's other biggest names. This is sure to be a celebration that you will not want to miss. Your participation in this important fundraising event will support the Guild's transformative school programs, which last year alone introduced opera to more than 14,000 students from nearly 200 schools. To learn more or to register for this fantastically unique virtual event, please visit www.metguild.org silver or call 212-769-7009. We can't wait to celebrate with you. Verdi wrote Il Trovatore after his massively successful opera Rigoletto. With its story of kidnapping and burning babies, it became even more of a sensation and confirmed Verdi's success as a composer. On this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we take a deeper look into Verdi's wild tale of revenge and love. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. Perhaps best known for its popular Anvil Chorus, Giuseppe Verdi's opera Il Trovatore has been dazzling audiences since its premiere in 1853. Its intricate plot and dramatic music have helped it to become a staple of the operatic repertoire. I'm your host, Stuart Holt, and on today's episode, composer, conductor, and lecturer Victoria Bond guides us through the musical motifs and history of Verdi's thrilling potboiler of an opera. Il Trovatore had its origin in a play by Spanish playwright Garcia Gutierrez called El Trovador. The play had an immense success in 1836 in Madrid. Verdi hoped to interest Neapolitan librettist Salvatore Camarano in turning the play into an opera libretto. The story had the kind of high drama that attracted Verdi, with the hero and the villain discovered to be brothers at the surprise ending. However, the principal characters were two women. One, a high-born lady, Leonora, who is in love with the hero, Manrico, and the other, a murderous gypsy, Azucena, who wants to avenge the death of her mother, burned at the stake for witchcraft. This character, in particular, fascinated Verdi, having just triumphed with his opera Rigoletto, whose hero, a hunchback, had a similar taste for vengeance. 
Verdi's plan for the libretto was far more adventurous than that of the conventional Camarano. And in a letter, Verdi wrote, As to the layout of the pieces, the more unusual and bizarre, the better. If in the opera there were neither cavatinas, duets, trios, choruses, finales, etc., and the whole work consisted, let's say, of a single number, I should find that all the more right and proper. For this reason, I would say that if you could avoid beginning with an opening chorus, all operas begin with a chorus, and start straightway with the troubadour's song and run the first two acts into one, it would be a good thing because these separate numbers with changes of scene in between seem to be designed for the concert hall rather than the stage. Ah, how richly original this might have been. As we know, Camarano never followed Verdi's plan, and we are left with a conventional libretto that opens with a chorus that consists of arias, duets, trios, etc. It is no wonder that Verdi, in the operas that followed, became more and more involved with the creation of the libretto, having a sure theatrical sense of how a drama could unfold and looking far beyond the rigid restrictions of his day. Verdi worked within the restrictions of Camerano's libretto and transformed it, making the opening chorus mysterious, filled with hushed trembling as the servants and soldier men who served the Count de Luna react to the story that Ferrando, the captain of the guards, has just told them about a gypsy, a curse, and a baby burned alive. In this chorus, the men who are very superstitious believe that the spirit of the unholy gypsy haunts the place. The chorus whispers in fear. Some have seen her on the rooftop. She transforms herself into a screech owl or raven. Her gaze can kill with terror. This music, infused with the supernatural, introduces us to the character of Azucena, whose mother's ghostly spirit terrified the men with her unholy powers. Although Verdi accepted Camarano's cliché of an opening chorus, he nevertheless persisted in modifying the libretto, 
being highly critical of Camerano's handling of the characters, saying, I may be mistaken, but it seems to me that various situations don't have their former power and originality, and above all, that Azucena hasn't retained the novelty and strangeness of her character. I find that this woman's two great passions, filial and maternal love, no longer emerge in all their strength. Having compromised a great deal, Verdi took charge of the situation and sent Camerano his own synopsis of the action. There were many delays, and Camerano died before the libretto was completed, forcing Verdi to find someone to complete it. The young poet Leone Emanuele Bardare was chosen and was ecstatic over the opportunity to work with Verdi, who did not hesitate to change many of his words. We get a glimpse of the hands-on dramatist that Verdi was from this exchange with a close friend. You tell me that Azucena must say Camarano's words because there are consequences, etc. Oh, allow me to say that I understand these things perfectly well, but the greater part of the drama is summed up not in these words, but in one word, vengeance. To say, mother, you are avenged, and yours is a late vengeance, mother, but how cruel, means exactly the same thing as the drama is concerned, except that the former is shorter and more suitable. Streamlining the libretto was to become a hallmark of Verdi's late operas, and it is fascinating to see how sure he was of the power of brevity. Although much of the last act was complete in its essentials as Camarano had written it, there were details to be worked out, and there were censors to deal with. Many aspects crucial to the drama had to be modified. There was to be no mention of the word stake as it would remind people of the Holy Inquisition. Leonora must not take poison as suicide was forbidden by the church. Liturgical words were not allowed. Despite these restrictions, the opera was finally produced in 1852 in the Teatro Apollo in Rome. It was a triumph and became the most loved of all of Verdi's operas in his day. Despite the static set numbers of the libretto cast in an old-fashioned mold, the freshness and vitality of the music, with its vivid characterizations and dramatic impetus, have kept it a staple in the operatic repertory to this day. The quartet of principle demands voices of great power, each having challenging arias of technical, musical, and dramatic scope. In scene two, we are introduced to Leonora, the high-born noblewoman, with the aria Tacea la notte placida. This is a complete scene unto itself, divided into several parts. First, let's examine each part to see how Verdi shows us the distinct facets of the character. Leonora first describes the unknown knight in black armor who has won the tournament and on whose brow she has placed a wreath. She sings over tremolos in the strings, at first breathless, and then filled with admiration for his triumph. 
But then he has disappeared and she has not seen him again. Wistfully, she longs for him with a melodious bel canto phrase. Let's listen to what this sounds like in the opera. Orchestra sighs with a calm, descending depiction of the quiet night as Leonora relates the song she has heard sung by an unseen troubadour. Her vocal line likewise descends until she describes his melody soaring on the breeze and her music likewise ascends in stepwise motion.
The final section is a rapturous outburst, complete with trills suggesting girlish giggles and a strong rhythmic propulsion. hear how that sounds in the opera. Although Leonora is a stock character, the music that Verdi has given her is nuanced and original. It grows out of the bel canto tradition, yet Verdi's vocal lines, harmonic progressions, and orchestral textures allow for a far greater emotional range. To introduce the Count and Manrico, Verdi gives us a scene that vividly dramatizes the relationship between the two men and their relationship to Leonora. It is divided into short sections so that we meet each of the men separately. First, the Count expresses his longing for Leonora, comparing the love that inflames him to the candle flame in her window. His passionate outburst is interrupted by the offstage voice of Manrico, unlike the Count's erotic passion. Manrico sings a melancholy lament. The Count's mood on hearing this abruptly shifts from desire to jealousy. However, when Leonora rushes out of her house calling to her beloved, it is Manrico who becomes jealous, thinking her love is meant for the Count and not for him, and calling her false one. But Leonora quickly corrects his misunderstanding, saying that it is to him Manrico that she referred to when she called out for her beloved. Verdi fills this scene of powerful and conflicting emotions with music that races from one voice to the other in quick succession. He uses a motif that accumulates in density as he piles up the voices, overlapping them until all three join in a trio, each expressing his and her emotions with fast and turbulent music. Let's take apart this complex scene. First, Verdi sets the mood of night with quiet, mysterious music.
He gives the count an extended passage to sing without any accompaniment in a recitative manner. However, when his thoughts become more aroused, the orchestra trembles beneath him with tremolos and the strings, and as he becomes more agitated with desire, the music grows more heated with sharply accented chords, but his monologue is interrupted by the singing of the troubadour Manrico who plays his lute. Manrico's music is gentle and lyrical in contrast with the Count's aggressive and brutish passion, and Verdi vividly portrays the difference. The tension is heightened by the fact that Manrico sings offstage and cannot be seen by the Count, who expresses his anger in short outbursts. Here is that section of the scene.
Now the scene escalates as Leonora comes rushing out, calling to her beloved, who Manrico mistakenly thinks is the Count. Listen to how Verdi escalates the drama with music that gains in speed and rhythmic propulsion. The same motive that Verdi used when Leonora sang of her joy at hearing Manrico sing her name is now used in breathless and agitated confrontation between the Count and Manrico as they prepare to fight a duel. Then, with his sure knowledge of how to ratchet up the drama, all forward motion stops. Leonora holds a high G-sharp with the words, Hear me! And the Count roars the word, No! The trio that follows begins with the Count's rage towards his rival Manrico and continues with the other two, joining him with music that has a powerful rhythmic pulse. This trio ends Act One. opens with the Anvil Chorus, surely one of the most familiar choruses in opera. It is rousing and has a strongly accented rhythm as the gypsies hammer on the anvil. Verdi characterizes the wild, primitive nature of the gypsies with music that is forceful and almost barbaric. The power of this music rests not in its subtlety, but quite the opposite in its visceral appeal. 
The mezzo-soprano role of Azucena is unique in that it encompasses the range of a soprano and goes up to a high C, considered out of the range of most mezzo-soprano voices. Unlike the other three principals, Leonora, Manrico, and the Count, who are all vocal stereotypes, Azucena is unique. Up to Trovatore, Verdi had not cast any of his principal female roles with a mezzo-soprano voice in mind. But after Trovatore, Verdi would again cast memorable roles for the mezzo-soprano. Ulrica in Un Balo in Maschera, Eboli in Don Carlo, Amneris in Aida. Azucena's first aria, Stride la Vampa, vividly recalls her horror at seeing her mother burned at the stake. In triple meter, the music bristles with dotted notes and trills, jagged and wild. Let's hear that in the opera. Azucena's character is further developed in the following scene with Manrico, who she has raised as her own son. In a series of escalating emotions, she begins by the pitiable vision of her mother in chains, being dragged to the stake to be burned. In the accompaniment, we can hear Azucena's groans and sighs. 
Listen to the way he does a groan in the music and a sigh. Sigh, groan, sigh. Let's hear that in the orchestra and in the opera. In the next section, we hear the melody of Stride la Vampa in the upper register of the orchestra, like a memory nagging at her. becomes more and more agitated until at the climax, hearing her mother's voice ordering her to avenge her murder, Azucena throws the infant that she believes to be the child of the hated count into the fire, only to realize that it is her own son she has murdered. We hear her racing heart and her desperate cry, Il figlio mio, my son. Oh, 
Manrico is shocked. But she quickly retracts her story, saying that it was, in fact, the Count's son who was burned alive. In the duet that follows, Manrico first relates the duel with the Count, saying how, at the moment when he could have killed him, his hand was stopped by a mysterious power. Azucena replies with music that is forceful and shows us the strong metal that she is made out of. She demands that Manrico avenge his grandmother's death and kill the Count. Her music is strident and insistent in the low register of her voice. This shows Azucena and her real grit, low register and very definite music. Oh, <laughs> 
Verdi does not allow the Count to be a one-dimensional character, but gives him a lovely aria, almost a gentle lullaby, Il Balen del Suo Sorriso, in which he rhapsodizes over Leonora, who he plans to abduct from the convent where she is about to take the veil. Note the high register and coloratura ornamentation, making this opera particularly challenging for the baritone voice. In a scene reminiscent of Gilda's abduction by the Duke in Rigoletto, the Count and his courtiers whisper as they lay in wait to abduct Leonora from the convent. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
The scene that follows is pure magic as the women's voices sing in celestial sweetness of the joys of heaven. Below this high heavenly choir, the Count and his men rapidly whisper their cynical plan to capture their prey. The contrast is brilliant. All voices join for the conclusion of the act as Manrico appears rescues Leonora, and the two flee the Count and his men. Verdi shows his contrapuntal skills with the complex ensemble that ends the act. Thank <laughs> you. 
In Act Three, Azucena, captured by the Count's men, sings an aria in which she expresses her deep love for her son and her search to find him. Discovering that Azucena's son is none other than his hated rival, the Count triumphs at this good fortune. The dramatic confrontation between the Count and Azucena provides the opportunity for a scene driven by rhythmic propulsion. Hiding from their enemies, Manrico expresses his love to Leonora in an aria of transcendent lyrical beauty and delicacy reminiscent of Mozart. Strenuane 
From this sublime lyricism, Verdi gives Manrico his most celebrated aria in the opera, Di Quella Pira, sung after he reveals to Leonora that he is the gypsy's son. The aria is a tour de force expressing Manrico's fierce determination to avenge his mother, even if he must die doing so. Manrico rushes off, and in the next scene, we learn that he has been captured and imprisoned in the tower. Leonora goes there, hoping that she can rescue him. As offstage voices intone a prayer for the condemned, Leonora sings above them, and the voice of Manrico is heard from inside the tower. This funereal scene foreshadows the final scene of Aida, and shows Verdi to be the master of retaining each individual voice within the context of a large ensemble.
confronts the Count, begging for mercy for Manrico. Their duet pulses with rhythmic propulsion. After all of the challenging stamina needed thus far, after this tour de force, there is a scene for Azucena and Manrico of touching simplicity. Azucena expresses her longing to return to her mountain home, an emotion that will become an important theme in Verdi's next opera, La Traviata. Thank you. 
Leonora has obtained Manrico's freedom by leading the Count to believe that she will submit to him in exchange. She rushes into Manrico's cell, telling him to flee, but he accuses her of selling herself to the Count, and a heated duet follows. In the midst of this, Azucena dreams of her mountain home. All three voices, each with his, her distinct emotions, emerge perfect clarity in this amazing trio. Another trio follows this one, this time for Leonora, Manrico, and the Count. Manrico learns that Leonora has taken poison rather than submit to the Count. The Count is furious at being deceived, and Manrico repents his misplaced anger 
and devastated over losing Leonora. The final moments of the plot are brief and brutal. The Count has Manrico executed only to learn from Azucena that he is, in fact, his brother. And the opera ends with a blazing flourish, despite the melodramatic libretto. Verdi's music shines through the opera with his magnificent sensitivity to each character. Each emerges with many facets, intensely human and fragile, caught in a drama beyond their control. Although Verdi originally did not want to write another opera with set numbers, we are grateful for this brilliant handling of these ensembles, duets, choruses, and arias. Il Trovatore remains a musical treasure. That was composer, conductor, and lecturer Victoria Bond discussing the music and history of Verdi's epic opera Il Trovatore. The Metropolitan Opera's production can be seen as part of the nightly Met Opera Streams on Monday, November 23rd. For more information, visit metopera.org. Make sure to follow the Metropolitan Opera Guild, the Metropolitan Opera, and Opera News on your favorite social media platforms to keep up to date on all things opera. I'm Stuart Holt, and thank you so much for listening.